Man, this is a great time of year. Got the poinsettias, got the trees, got the lights. It's good stuff, right? And we got to take it all down here in a month, but we won't worry about that. Who is the king of the Jews? You know, how you answer that question in first century Israel depends upon the lenses through which you are looking. The lenses through which we see things make all the difference in what we are focusing on. It makes all the difference in what we notice in our lives. You see the eye chart there. Uh, This shows us and kind of brings to light the value of focus. And the whole point of a chart like this is to make sure that we have the right kind of lenses. And if you don't have the right kind of lenses, things might get a little fuzzy and you're not going to notice the things that need to be noticed. Well, who might be the king of the Jews? The answer to that depends on what your vision is. What are you looking for? What are you hoping for? What are you longing for? And when it comes right underneath your nose, do you have the ability to recognize it? Or as Jesus would say, do you have eyes to see? In the land of Judah, the land around Jerusalem, there was a man by the name of Herod the Great, and Herod's title was indeed King of the Jews. King of the Jews. Now, Herod wasn't even Jewish. He was of what they call Idumean descent, and uh, that's this area kind of south of Jerusalem. Uh, But he'd been given rule over this area of Judea around Jerusalem by uh, the emperor and the powers that be in Rome, the empire that oversaw the whole area and backed all the top-down power and authority in the area of Israel. Herod was generally resented by a lot of the Jewish leaders because of this, uh, because he really wasn't one of their people. However, he knew how to at least maintain some order in the world that he supposedly ruled. Now, a king's job is to rule. But what exactly does that mean, to rule? What is that supposed to look like? Does a king simply spend his energy making sure that he is at the top and that everybody else is under him? Well, that's pretty much what Herod did. That's the way that he rolled, if you will. He did whatever he had to do to make sure that he stayed king. That was priority number one. Now this involves spending a significant amount of time, energy, and yes, even money doing this in two different ways. The first way that you make sure that you're the king is that you you throw a bone at least to the people enough. You appease them enough so that they don't rebel. You keep them happy in whatever way you can. Herod did this by rebuilding the Jewish temple. That temple that used to be so great when Solomon built it and then got destroyed by the Babylonians 500 years prior to this. And and even though Israel had come back from Babylon in some way, the, the temple was just not the same. The building wasn't the same. It wasn't like it used to be. Herod built that thing up and made it this scene of great pride for everybody. This is, of course, the temple that Jesus would one day prophesy, that one not, not one stone would be built upon another. 
It's the temple that Jesus would walk into and start turning over tables and saying, have you not heard that my house is to be a house of prayer? It's the temple that Jesus would be standing in when he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Speaking of the temple that is the real temple himself. So Herod built the temple as one of the many ways that he appeased his subjects. It wasn't really done out of love. He was just doing what he had to do to stay on top, to stay in control. The other way a king rules in this worldly way is to spend a lot of time and energy threatening and crushing anybody who might take your throne. Herod was as talented of a person as he was. He was very paranoid. He ended up murdering his own wife and two of his sons in order to preserve his place on the throne because he thought they were a threat to his reign and his rule. Neither of these options about ruling have the people in mind. It's not a ruling in order to truly serve the people. It's just a a way of ruling in order to contain the people, to keep them subject under the powers that be, the power of Rome and therefore the power of Herod. This is what it meant for him, in his own limited understanding, to be the king of the Jews. They're not what the prophet Samuel had in mind when he spoke of a coming king that we see gets quoted here in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2, which says, A king will shepherd my people, Israel. A shepherd protects the sheep. A shepherd leads the sheep. A shepherd cares for the sheep. That's not the kind of shepherd you're getting in King Herod. So when these magi from the east come from Jerusalem, innocently going, hey, where's that king of the Jews that is born? We saw its star, his star at its rising, and we have come to worship him. Herod is caught off guard. All of Jerusalem is caught off guard. You see, these magi, probably from Persia, were focused on the stars. They had a certain kind of lens And that lens allowed them to focus on certain things that God used to lead them right to the king of the Jews, whoever that may be and wherever that person may be. Herod could never have seen or understood such a king. He didn't have the lenses to see and understand. The king of the Jews, who is that person? Well, these magi were really not asking who. They were just asking where. They knew if they could get to the where is the king of the Jews, they would then, of course, discover who is the king of the Jews. There are a lot of theories about this star, uh, what the star was, how they saw it, all that kind of a thing. One of the theories that's out there is that at this very time, Saturn and Jupiter were lined up with the constellation Pisces. Saturn represents the Jews, Jupiter represents royalty, and Pisces represents the Palestinian area. Now, Saturn and Jupiter line up about every 20 years. In fact, lo and behold, here we are in the year 2000, Saturn and Jupiter are going to pass each other here in about, I don't know, eight days on December 21st. If you look up in the sky in the early evening, you can see both of them. I've been watching them for months. They're getting closer and closer. It's like we're going around a track and Jupiter on the inside track is about to pass up Saturn. So tonight, 
About 6 or 7 o'clock, look right up there. You'll see Saturn and Jupiter. They're getting closer and closer to each other. Jupiter's about to pass it up. Perhaps this is what they were looking at and what they saw. But how is it that these guys from so far off could have known about this, and yet Israel didn't? Why is it that God would have revealed this king of the Jews to these people who might have been from 900 miles away, but not his own people? What is God doing? It's kind of like those shepherds last week. Why would God reveal the birth of Jesus to some night shift shepherds and not anybody else? God seems to be introducing this new king to these people who are the most unlikely. As if to say, I have come into the world not just for the people I chose. I have come into this world for all kinds of people. And I am drawing them, literally, I am drawing them unto myself. This sign is a a taste of what the prophet Isaiah's message pointed toward, that someday the mountain of God will be the highest mountains and all the nations will stream to it. That's already beginning in these magi coming from the east. This is the God who made the world, who loves the world, and who calls the world to Him, to worship Him in a true and a right relationship. Fascinating. These magi, they they probably didn't know a lot about the story of God, and yet they were there. And God accepted their gifts and their worship of Him, whatever they did or didn't know. The star got the magi to Jerusalem, but not yet to the king. For once they arrived on the scene, they needed the Jewish scriptures to point them in the right direction. These are the same scriptures that have been pointing toward Jesus all along, but somehow Israel had not read read them with the right heart, or shall we say, the right lens. Therefore, they missed it. You see, they were too set on a different kind of king. They were too focused on the anxiety of their moment and their time. They were focused on a kind of king that would overthrow the Romans that would overthrow guys like Herod and would set up one of their own, a son of David, to rule in a very this-worldly way, the only way they know of someone to rule. Just one more king in a world of unsustainable kingdoms. Kingdoms that do not last forever. The scriptures point the Magi toward Bethlehem. They go to Bethlehem. They pick up the star again, which is over the house where the king is. And they go into the house. They bow down. They rejoice. And they worship. And they give expensive gifts. After worshiping, they get up. They go on their way with great joy. Meanwhile, Herod after being avoided by these magi, is on the warpath to destroy this newborn king. But God to step ahead of him. Mary and Joseph get out of town in the middle of the night, and Herod never finds this king. 
The Magi find out both where and who the king is, but Herod finds neither. This really kind of seems to be a theme throughout Jesus' life. Those who humbly search for the king, who search for him to worship him, and to give him their hearts, will find him. And he will find them. But those who seek to simply build up their own power and their own kingdoms to take everything in the world and make them about themselves will lose him. They will not know where the king is. They will not know who the king is. And they will not understand how the king rules. The same is true for us today. Like it or not, I hate to say this, but there's a little bit of Herod in each of us. There's a little bit of Herod in us when, you know, think about gifts you give for other people. How, how much is that motivated by truly wanting to bless somebody? And how much is that is motivated by simply, well, if I don't get them a gift, I'm going to look like a jerk. See, one is a true way of loving and blessing others, and the other is a way of self-preserving and appeasing. There's a little bit of Herod in each of us. Either through appeasing others or through pushing others away and keeping others at a distance as a way of self-preserving our little bitty kingdom rather than to seek God's kingdom come in Jesus. And so if you want to find the king, you must be willing to let go of something. You must be willing to go on a journey. You must be willing to follow. You must be willing to lay down your gifts at his feet. To give yourself over to him. And you must be willing to look for him and find him in places that you never expected. Not in the glory of Jerusalem, but in the humility of Bethlehem. This is where Jesus can be found. This is how God came into the world 2,000 years ago. And this is quite often how God reveals Himself to us in those places that are humble and often quiet. Fast forward 30 or so years. Jesus will be standing before this Herod's son. The same Herod who ended up killing John the Baptist. And in this time, Jesus will be bound and he will be ready for a cross. Herod will pass him along back over to Pilate. And on that cross that Pilate has him nailed to will be an inscription above him. Do you know what that inscription says? It says, this is the king of the Jews. If you're looking for the king of the Jews... Look no further than the cross. Behold, this is the king of the Jews. Not Herod who lords it over people, who uses people, who crushes people at his own self-interest, but Jesus who gives his life away on behalf of the people. Which king do you want to live for? There are Herods, they come and go. Every generation, 
every year has its share of Herods. Kings, bosses, authority figures, whatever they may be. But there's one Jesus. And when it all comes down to the end, God has chosen and will continue to choose to put Jesus at His right hand. The one who rules over is truly good from the beginning to the end. His kingdom will one day prevail when God wipes out all evil and destroys it. A new kingdom will be in full order for all to see. And this man on a cross, the king of the Jews, who used to be a baby in a house in Bethlehem, will be seen by all as ruler. Thank God it won't be Herod or some other earthly ruler. And so this leaves you and me with a question today. What kind of king are you looking for? What kind of savior are you looking for? What kind of lenses do you have on today? What kind of hero do you want? Might he be drawing you to himself? May he be wooing and inviting you in? Are you ready with your gifts to bow down? Are you ready to give your life to Him? Are you ready to worship Him? Are you ready to rejoice when you find Him? May the Lord give us eyes to see. And may we have a heart to seek Him and to find Him. Right in the midst of time and space right in the midst of history as we're living in it right now. May God give each of us whatever star we need to find Him.